Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Well, welcome back. This is the COVID bullet point number 17. We just are a day late because we talked a lot yesterday and just didn't want to talk anymore, yeah, which is surprising for you. After like 19 <laughs> hours of lecturing, we took an hour off and here we are now. Yep. Yuck. So anyway, it was another really good day on COVID Echo. It might have been the best day. <laughs> They're all the best. Oh, hold it. I said that last time. You did. They're all the best day. Yeah, we had Patsy Stinchfield. Uh, she's a nurse practitioner, and she is involved heavily with the whole COVID deal at Children's Hospital, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Yes. And she, she was like the co-incident commander. Yep. She had a military suit. She okay, not a lot. That's not but true. But that's Okay. So she said that, you know, she kind of got this role with this whole COVID thing because she was originally known as the vaccine geek, and those are her terms. But she's been doing infection control and epidemiology for a really long time through children's, and of course, COVID being a virus, you know, fits under that whole infection thing. Yeah, pretty nicely. Uh, most viruses do cause infections. You know, so you're she, so funny. She did talk a little bit about the... Uh, rankings and how things are going and our levels of disease. Dr. Bell, do you have those latest numbers? You know, I do. So, of course, she had the numbers yesterday, but I found them updated. So today's numbers, this is interestingly and sad, is Minnesota is at 996 deaths. Mm. And then there's the 10 probable. So we have crossed the 1,000 threshold, which is not a really cool threshold to cross, but... Um, as of right now in Minnesota, there's 592 people hospitalized. Actually, as of 11 a.m., 592 people hospitalized with 259 in the ICU and 29 people died yesterday and 30 the day before. It's climbing. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is you always say, well, that was at 11 o'clock. Uh, some of the early data actually showed that the highest percentage of the patients were actually uh, admitted. Getting more ill. No, yeah. they got admitted late in the afternoon and yes. evening. Presented so, to the ER later. Yep. I thought that was interesting. Yes. And with that, you know, Minnesota, she pointed out, yes, is going up with the ICU beds and all the admissions and all of that. And we don't really know much about this potential second wave and all of that jazz. And of course, she does pediatrics. So she talked a lot about the pediatrics and why they maybe don't get sick as much, that whole ACE2 receptors and how probably kids don't have as many. And I think that's something that's been out for quite a while is that's always been the assumption is that they they don't get the virus attaching to those ACE2 inhibitors or ACE2 receptors the same way. No, but can I can I just back up for one quick second because this was hilarious. You know, the, the, pe the older people are the ones who are dying, you know, the 70, 80-year-olds, so even older than Kurt is. But the Minnesota has the highest confirmed cases in the 20 to 30-year-old age group. And she even said, do you think they're sharing saliva more on the weekend? Well, she said saliva and other fluids. Yes. So. Which was like, whoa, can't say that on an echo. It's a, this is a PG. 
PG. Peds. She's a peds lady. I know. Although, but 20 to 30. But anyway, so I had digressed, of course. But there's currently, as of yesterday, 127 positive kiddos that children themselves have done. But she said that they're seeing about six new cases a day. They have nearly 100 pending tests. Um, and yeah, they they have in-house testing there now. Um so it's it's getting scary that there's so many more kids. Yeah, they talked. She talked a little bit about how they hadn't had a lot of trouble in their staff, and but the thing is, you know, they had a period of time for about a month where they didn't have much for cases. They had their initial cases where people coming back from travel, and then they had it kind of die out. and And she made it real clear that's important not to get lazy with your PPE and protection and all those things. Yeah, I think Charlie had made a comment about that way early on in COVID that everyone's really careful and then they go into the staff break rooms and yep, pull off their mask. And then they're all just chatting. So the one question or the one thing, I guess not really a question, the one thing she really talked about that they're looking at a lot at children's is um, a little bit of the disparities and then what's happened with that. And uh, ironically, 81% of the the children that have tested positive at children's hospital have been of children of color 81 percent only 10 percent being caucasian which is just crazy especially because minnesota is 83 percent caucasian overall Hmm. i did like how she talked about that is that obviously there's a lot of inequities and minnesota has exploded this week as y'all know but one other reasoning would be that they tend to have multi-generational family members and one in smaller settings you can't really quarantine yourself to a room when there's six people living in a room in a hot an apartment that only has one room yep kind of impossible yeah uh so yeah she talked a little bit about the are not and uh are not is something dr bell really likes this whole how many people get infected uh when they're exposed and it and it's been roughly right around 2.7 for covid in the u.s for a while now yeah for quite a while it's been hanging in that area so uh, she talked a little bit about the kids and uh, that whole viral, uh, or excuse me, GI tract and the virus in the GI tract. Which, Apparently they're uh, studying sewage yeah. in the Netherlands. But you know, that's not a new thing. And I, let me digress just a little. There's actually been studies done in the past on sewage and drug use, uh, falling back to our substance oh, use that's background. that's right. I do remember that. Yeah, where you can actually, in populations like in New York, do studies on the sewage and know what percentage of the population are using heroin, for instance. So it's uh, it's really interesting, but they're now doing that. But she talked a little bit about, you know, should you be letting a lot of kids be in a swimming pool? You know, if there's no chlorine in that, uh, obviously that could be another way, potentially, Well, to contract it. A family member of mine manages a pool in southern Minnesota, and, you know, they're trying to get this outdoor pool up and going, and they're having all sorts of different... <coughs> difficulty managing i muted mine instead of yours um what they're going to do with this this pool this summer am i muted i am no we're not uh, there's of something us. wrong it's okay. fine they're both working but anyway they're trying to figure out never... what to do with uh with the pools this summer with the, the public pools and whether do you just have to increase the chlorine levels or what do you have to do with the pools didn't even think about that not swim in them right but I guess if it's like super high chlorinated, they'd probably be okay. But I guess I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't sound like I'm as loud. I know. Me neither. It's recording. We're fine. Yeah, turn it up just a little. Okay. There, there we go. Oh, yeah. There. Yep. Now we're loud. I got to back up. Anyway. Sorry, everybody. Um, she talked again about when the symptoms start and 
you know, when you should test people. And she made the comment that day five of symptoms. So of all symptoms, day five seems to be the best day to get the PCR for live virus because it, it varies between 48 hours prior to symptoms up to 14 days after. But really around that day five is kind of that sweet spot. Um, and don't even think antibody until over 14 days. Yeah, really doing that. Uh, and you know, he, he's got COVID or something. I don't know what's going on, but uh, we did talk a little bit about with her COVID cough. COVID cough, the discharge stuff. And, you know, we've talked about this and alluded to it a little bit in the past. And people keep asking questions of, do you need to have negative tests before you discharge or transition or whatever? They're kind of going with the non-testing method. So 10 days post-symptom onset, so which isn't really that many. That's not even enough to get to a positive antibody, but in three days without a fever. So a little bit different, but they have a lot of their guidelines and tools that they're using, especially on these kids, on their website at childrensmn.org. Yeah, so oh, and then she talked a little about the vaccines because she's a vaccine geek. And all the people that are looking through different vaccines, over a hundred different uh, ones are in the in the running. But uh, you know, where's where's that going to end, and when's that going to start? Nobody knows. I thought that was interesting. She talked a little bit about how the fastest vaccine ever put out on the market, mumps. Mumps. But yet, it took fourteen years or fourteen four years to make. It's close to four. Yeah, fourteen. Four just years. ten more. Um, and so they're hoping twelve to eighteen months, which uh, frankly. Sounds a little crazy and impossible, but we'll see. I just really think that her perspective with that, like how fast they were able to get that mumps out there. And now obviously technology has advanced since the mumps was, you know, developed, but kind of, yeah. kind of nerve wracking. And then of course she made the comment like Dr. Noska did several weeks ago, like how long have we been waiting for an HIV vaccine? Yeah. Forever. 30 years, 40 years. Well, I was in medical school. Yeah. It's about six years. <laughs> I think they started looking before I was born. So yeah, 40 yeah, years. It could have been 1990-ish. Um, but <clears throat> the other thing, you know, I think everybody wonders, you know, what's going to happen with the spread during August. And again, we had, I think when we reviewed some of the some of the data on some of the different uh, papers coming out, there's a lot of talk that the weather's not going to make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, H1N1, you know, spread and its peak was in August. So is it going to have much to do with uh, how COVID moves around? Again, nobody knows. We're waiting to see. Nobody knows. Okay, the one big point I think she really made, especially working at Children's Hospital, is the importance of continuing vaccines for kids. And we've talked about this. The AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, recommends up until age two for sure, every well child. But how the MMR, especially the measles vaccine, they're all waiting for another measles outbreak. And I never knew this data to this point, but in order to prevent an outbreak of measles, you need to have 95% compliance with immunizations. 95%. Currently, the pediatric population that Children's Hospital, both Minneapolis and St. Paul serves, is only in the low 50s. That's not very close That's to 95. Not close. So really, it's super important to everybody get immunized, get your kids there. Typical immunizations for kids. and Well, here's the thing. Then she talked about doing immunizations in a car. Now, if I'm a kid, and, I just, and I'm not saying it's a bad idea because you need to get the kids immunized, but if you put me in a car and then somebody stabs me with a needle, <laughs> I'm never going to get in your car again. So, right. Don't do drive-up yeah, testing. Get suddenly, them in. Yeah. Suddenly I'm four years old. You'll never get me in my car seat again because I know 
you're taking me somewhere to get me stabbed. So, yeah. It's yeah, just a thought. Uh, you know, I think I mean, at least uh, take them out of the car, do it on the sidewalk so that they're afraid <laughs> of sidewalks. But it's kind of like when you get the dog in the vet, you know, you get them to take them to the vet, they don't ever want to get in your car again either. That's right. It's like why they put me in the car. Yeah. Not they're going to put that. me down. So, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Pretty sure a dog that's been put down doesn't remember getting put down and fears it again. Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, again, this car vaccine thing, great idea to keep the rates up. Bad idea if you want to get your kid in a car seat. And I don't know. Anyway. So then we talked a little bit back about this whole pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome, which used to be called MIS, then it was called PMIS, and now apparently it's called MIS-C. Basically, it's this whole inflammation thing we keep seeing in kiddos. And ironically, Tuesday's Echo is all about this. So if you're really into kids stuff, it's a fabulous talk. But if anyway. Yeah. If you're not there, you're nowhere. I mean, you, you just have to be there. You do, even if you do geriatrics. It's still yeah. like... because. Question of whether this is related to all this cytokine storm that adults are getting. Well, just think if you're, you're doing geriatrics and a guy says, hey, I got this grandchild and they have this rash and you don't even know what they're talking about. Amen. That's a so great point. you need to be there. They have said that they're actually concerning the underdiagnosis, though, of this PMIS-C thing because some kids might not have the severe, severe form, but they might have other vasculitides. I just wanted to say that word. And we're only noticing the serious cases. So really, the kids thing is a big deal. Pay attention on yeah. Tuesday. Interestingly, uh, one of the first cases I had that I believe was COVID, uh, he was in the hospital. He's 15. He got he was on oxygen for four days. Uh, I forgot to tell you, his, uh, his toes peeled. He had COVID Ooh, toe. COVID toe. Yeah, just got that info. But yeah, so kids, it's a little bit different. So then uh, Chris Hagen. Uh, PharmD came on and he uh, he does have some a disclosure uh, that he wanted to make sure everybody knew is that he's never on time for anything. I thought he was one day. One time. One day. That was his only disclosure. But his first uh, little talk, he was talking today about all the different drug trials and some of the vaccine stuff. And he kind of went back to what he had talked about uh, about 10 days ago on the vitamin D. I thought that was interesting. So when you said he had a disclosure, I thought you were going to talk about the fact that he had a little sunburn on Echo. And I had said, well, he must have his vitamin D. And he said he gets sunburn looking at the lights. So I thought that was his disclosure. But no. Okay. Vitamin D. Basically, in the one study that he was looking at, this correlation study, insufficient vitamin D was two and a half times more likely in non-Caucasian races. Uh, low vitamin D was in 22% of the people tested. Sufficient vitamin D was only in 12% of the people tested. Uh, but patients who had sufficient levels of vitamin D had more favorable outcomes. So he did say he wouldn't be taking mass doses of vitamin D, but that it might have some type of a, a thing. Yeah. So the uh, I think the, the bottom line is I've been taking a daily vitamin D. I haven't told you that. I'm just trying to stay out of the weeds if I get this. So then he talked about remdesivir. And, of course, this is uh, this has been kicked around quite a bit lately. But the bottom line, this uh, study that did come out in New England Journal, boy, it seems to shorten how long you're in the hospital. But if you're going to do poorly, it just doesn't seem to matter because basically uh, mortality is the same. So I don't think we need to belabor that. We've talked about that once before. Right. And I think... The other problem with this study, although it was a Gilead study, which isn't that where 
Dr. No, Fauci works. Well, Fauci Gil- works. it's so basically it's somebody who makes remdesivir. Remdesivir. But anyway, the other issue with this study is that they changed some criteria. They they altered some things. The trial was stopped too early. Yeah, so, they, they stopped when they thought things were going well, and they just didn't keep going to get the end the end result. So uh, he thought that might be an issue. And he always said he would take remdesivir if he was in the hospital. Now so, he's on the fence. So he said, "Give me some convalescent plasma." Yeah, and this safety study, it's you know, I think again, you have to give the convalescent plasma. Basically, the theory is you give it before they have antibody, right? So right. so they can start you know fighting off this infection before they actually uh, you know get their own antibody. Right, and this study really was looking at. The, the risk of adverse effects from the convalescent plasma infusion. And basically, COVID's obviously very bad, and a lot of people are going to die. And so the risk of getting anything bad from the infusion is lower than the risk of dying from COVID. So you should mm. probably take the plasma if it's offered. Yeah. And then he talked a little bit about albumin. So... And how that's maybe a predictor for things. Uh, the study looked at almost 300 people, uh, average age of 53, about how old I am. And uh, basically, if your albumin's low, man, you got a little worse mortality. So that and lymphopenia together. Bad news. Bad news bears. So get that albumin up and eat some meat and uh, try and keep it up. So then he kind of ended with this whole discussion on this vaccine study and they... Uh, only eight people made neutralizing antibodies. This is a really confusing study because they only released like eight out of 35 patient information. And so why didn't they withhold, why didn't they reveal all of the data? Why did they only show these eight? Do these eight only have good data? Who knows? Um, but there's a lot of collaboration in vaccine creation, I think, globally. So hopefully they'll come up with something in that whole 12 to 18 month time frame. Yeah. But still waiting. Mm. So I think there wasn't much else. The vaccine data. Just talked about it. I know. That's it. <laughs> so, Sorry. yes, it was a very great echo where we kind of went through a lot of, you know, what's been happening as far as what you should do with kiddos and all of that. And then, unfortunately, the the down the beginning of the downfall potentially of remdesivir joining the H-drug. But next week, we have a couple different things we have on Tuesday. We have the pediatrician people from Children's Minneapolis coming on and doing a grand rounds, really focusing on that whole pediatric multisystem inflammatory disease thing. And then we have on Thursday the a dermatologist talking about some of the dermatological effects of COVID. Could be the best week ever. Probably will be. Now... Uh, the band is actually going to be warming up, and they're doing kind of an interesting song. And I, I probably have to mention kind of what what the background of this song is. This band was actually in college doing a little something uh, where they saw that there was a contest to come up with a song for a movie that Luke Wilson and, and Rada Mitchell were in, and it was actually called "Henry Pool Is Here," hmm. and they actually wrote a song and sent it in. And so, sadly, the movie didn't do as well. And actually, when you look at uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 39%. Ouch. Yeah, that's not good. And I am told by the band leader that uh, 
it was because the song was bad that they picked. <laughs> oh, they, they didn't pick their they song. They didn't pick Battle Eggs' gotcha. song. So, so we're going to let them play that. And thanks again for listening this week. And I'm going to let Heather say the last word because she always says, I do. He does. But again, this weekend sometime we will have the most updated journal summaries coming out at you. Probably Sunday and then next Tuesday we already talked about. So have a great weekend. If the heavens come to